Yeah, I had never really failed. I know that sounds crazy, but I had never really failed. And so when you don't fail, you just keep going because you think that's the way it should be. And you don't question, or I didn't question, what is this doing to me personally? Welcome to the Smart Gets Paid podcast with me, Leah Niederthal. I help women land higher paying clients in their independent consulting businesses, but I've never been a salesperson. My background is in corporate marketing. And when I started my first consulting business, I learned pretty quickly that it's about a thousand times harder to sell your own stuff than it is to sell someone else's. So I taught myself how to do it and I created the sales approach that I now share with my clients so they can feel more comfortable in the sales process, get more of the right clients and get paid way more for every client contract. So whether your client contracts are $5,000, $100,000 or more, if you wanna work with more of the clients you love, do more of the work you love and get paid more than you ever thought you could, then you're in the right place. Let's do it together. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to rate, review and share. Hey there, Leah here, and thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope wherever you are, wherever you're listening to this, I hope you're having a great week, making some good progress on your business, and of course, taking some time for yourself. So if you've ever sat in on a webinar of mine or read anything of mine or just been listening to this podcast, you've probably heard me say that when I was teaching myself how to sell, I read 65 books, right? And I used what I was learning with my own clients. You know, anything that felt salesy, I just ditched. And anything that felt good, I used and sort of wove together with the other things that I was learning to create what became my selling approach and the approach I teach my students. And I often cite those books, you know, what I learned in them as the foundation for my selling approach. You heard me do that in the episode with Dr. Deborah Tannen, whose concept about one up, one down really changed the way I felt about myself in the sales process. But recently, I've also been kind of reflecting on another source of knowledge that I came across along the way that might have been maybe at the time a little quieter in its influence, but which really shaped me and taught me through our experiences together. And that is, you know, the people in my life. And so I've started reaching out to those people who have really influenced me and shaped me. And I've been inviting them here to the podcast so that I can share with them how they shaped me and how what I learned from them is showing up in my business today. So I actually reached out to one of my old bosses from the agency world. So from 2005 to 2009, I worked at a below the line ad agency called Arc Worldwide, which right after I got there or kind of sometime around then was purchased by Leo Burnett. So I went from sort of working for ARC Worldwide to working at Leo Burnett. I worked in new business and we were responsible for pursuing and pitching new client opportunities for the agency. You know, we would assemble a team of strategists and creatives and media people and account people from across the agency and across the network And we would work like crazy for six to eight weeks or so to prepare for a pitch. And the pitches would be these like huge events, total dog and pony shows where we would present full-blown strategies and multiple creative campaigns. I mean, it was, it was insane. And it was also really intense. I mean, if you've ever worked in the ad agency world and you've been a part of a new business pitch, you know how crazy it is, right? That was my life all the time. And in that role, my boss was a woman named Lisa Hurwitz. And like, I thought Lisa was the shit. Well, actually, she was the shit. I don't think I realized it at the time, but she was the youngest VP in the company's history. And she was in the room leading the entire business development strategy for the flagship office of a multinational advertising agency. And she actually wasn't that much older than me. Coincidentally, we'd actually gone to the same college. And so I knew exactly how old she was. Like we were there at the same time. She was a few years older than me. And so the fact that she was so accomplished, I mean, I was just in awe and I learned so much from her. So when I thought about reconnecting with the people who shaped me and, you know, made me who I am today, I thought of Lisa. And I left in 2009, and which is like, feels like ages ago. And since then, she's gone on to have this huge career in consumer packaged goods. 
and she started a cannabis beverage, which we're going to talk about in our conversation. But I reached out to ask her if she'd be on the podcast. And she wrote back the next day saying, you know, of course, she'd be happy to come on and chat. And so that's the conversation that you're going to hear today. And it's really interesting because what I thought we were going to talk about was like what we had learned in the agency world and in new business and what we did with that experience and, you know, how that has shaped our careers and yada, 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 right? But what we actually ended up talking about was something a lot more interesting, which is when you've been raised to be super smart, well-educated, work hard and achieve success and just keep like driving, 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 what happens? And we talked about the pressure we felt about being raised to succeed and the pressure we put on ourselves and how that affected us both in some really serious ways. And it reminds me of the conversations I have with my clients who nearly all of them are type A overachievers and perfectionists who work really hard and you're so hard on yourself. Like, of course, we're all, all of us, so hard on ourselves. And at the moment when they reach out to me, all that drive has gotten them to a certain place, but it might not be serving them anymore because it's like, you're raised by people who, of course, love you and want the best for you. And you're imbued where you're like raised with a sense of wanting to achieve, but it can have some serious effects, which you'll hear Lisa talk about. And a few episodes ago, I talked with the author, Rachel Simmons, whose most recent book called The Curse of the Good Girl is about this exact same thing, about the pressure that society puts on girls growing up, the pressure that people in our lives put on us and how it affects girls in the moment and then adults later on. So this is a really timely and very real conversation because that's kind of who we all are. All of us type A overachievers, we are what Rachel calls the good girls. And so part of us as business owners, and I've talked about this in a few episodes, but part of this is needing to start paying attention to how that's played out in our lives and it's currently playing out in our businesses. So if you are a self-proclaimed perfectionist, and I know many of you listening to this podcast are, you will really see yourself in this episode. So listen in on my conversation with my old boss, Lisa Hurwitz, after this. And at the end, I'll come back and share a lesson you can apply to your business. Lisa, thank you so much for being here. It's so fun to see you again and be back in touch. It's my pleasure. This is so exciting for me. I remember our time together in the agency days so fondly, and I'm just so excited to see how your career has taken off. And this is such a treat. I love it. Yeah. And I remember you as such a, like a force. I mean, as... (laughs) Like I just, I, when we worked together, I was just like in awe. And so it's so fun to like come back and, you know, be talking to you and be able to share a little bit of your perspective with, with my folks, with my listeners. Well, I appreciate that. I I felt the same way about, about working with you. And I knew, you know, that all those years together, you know, you would go on to do awesome things. So this is like a full circle moment for me. And it's just, it's awesome to be here. Oh my gosh, that is so nice. You know how like, because also this is, I don't know, you know, certain people you, it's like, you'll always tell them like be my boss, right? In, in on some level. So to be here, to like hear you say that is just like, I don't know. I still feel, I feel like I'm back in what is it? Like the late, the late aughts, right? Yeah, I mean, it was almost, like, I mean, I don't feel like we're that old, but maybe we are, right? We both have kids, like we've gone through a lot, but yeah, I mean, it was... Probably around 2005 and it's 2022. So there you go. Well, so in the years that have followed, I feel like I've sort of stayed loosely connected to your career and it's taken some really cool turns. Just bring me up to speed, you know, walk me through those years and and what are you up to now? Yeah. So you and I worked together, gosh, it was definitely 2005 to 2008, Leah Burnett year. I was running new business. I was getting married. I was moving from the East Coast to Chicago. It was insanity, right? I think I, at the time, was one of the youngest executive vice presidents at Leo Burnett. So I just felt like this enormous pressure at 28 years old. And, you know, I did the agency thing for a long time, for almost 15 years. I went on to run the P&G business at Leo Burnett with the ARC side as well, and then went ahead and went into media, which I quickly realized after about a you know a year, year and a half, that the media agency space was very different than creative. And I wanted to go back into a role that was more kind of creatively driven and brand oriented, but I... I felt like I had to keep growing my career, right? I didn't want to go just back into the agency side again and 
manage a big piece of business. So I went to the client side and I became a, a global marketing VP at Kimberly Clark. Um, I'd spent a lot of years working with Procter & Gamble, which I can talk to you more about. They were kind of like a mini MBA for me, um, which was pretty amazing. And then I went in-house to, to Kimberly Clark and spent three years there traveling all over the world, getting a really fascinating kind of global perspective. And then I got sick and we can talk about that kind of turning point in my career. And that drove me on a personal and then a professional level into cannabis, which is kind of a consumer packaged goods category, kind of a retail category, definitely an emerging category, um, incredibly dynamic. And I spent two years at a big, as the chief marketing officer of a big multi-state cannabis operator out of Chicago. Um, it The business was sold in the summer of 2020. And then I've been an entrepreneur since, doing a bunch of different things. Most recently, I, uh, starting in October, became the president of Happy, which is a new uh, cannabis-infused beverage company out of Michigan. So the cannabis-infused beverage space is absolutely exploding. Happy, one of the things I love about it is it's really aimed towards new consumers that like can of curious and women in particular. And so it's kind of a, a really special product for me and a special brand in that way. So it's been a crazy 15-year ride, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, doing the hard-charging CPG route and then the cannabis route and now you know helm at the helm of this of this new brand. I think that's that's amazing. And I want to talk about you know the things that you've kind of picked up along the way. And now I didn't realize like I knew you and I are not too far apart in age, but I didn't realize that you were an EVP at 28, which like blows my mind. What was that like to sort of be in the rooms that that you were in at that time? I mean we would spend hours in these like pitch meetings with, you know, the, the brainstorming or whatever. What was that like for you? Yeah, it's a great question. It's funny because I was sort of always that like classic overachiever. I, I, I thought that achieving meant, you know, sort of financial freedom. And I also thought like the more stress I had on me, the more successful I was going to be. Like stress equaled success was sort of like an just a no brainer for me. That's how I kind of had grown my life. So I went into this and felt like, wow, I've got this big opportunity at 28. I'm leading new business for a global agency. And, you know, I was really, to be honest with you, I was stressed and anxious, like almost all the time. Cause I thought, Hey, I'm only 28. I'm the youngest person in the room. And the other dynamic was I was almost always the only female. There were a couple of very senior female executives at Leo Burnett. One I'll talk about who I really looked up to was Catherine Guthrie, who ran the P&G business. But there were very few mentors for me. And so I, I felt like the little sister often to a lot of people in the room. And that forced me to like take on this sort of crazy drive that, frankly, Leah, I don't think I stopped until I was 40. So for 12 years... It was like this, and I, I think a lot of women are the same way. It's like you you see that if you achieve, you especially at a young age, you know you can lead to success, and you don't realize the toll it takes along the way. The little stresses accumulate, right? The late night hours, the you know the the weekends. I mean, you know, new business in the agency world is probably the most stressful job in, to have, right? You're you're pitching, you're up against deadlines. You're working with multiple different teams of people, the creatives and the strategists and the producers. And so I just thought that's what life was supposed to be like. And that's how a job was supposed to go. You were supposed to be burnt out. And I would say I loved it. But at the same time, I think it took a, a huge toll on me. And frankly, that job at 28 set me on a 12-year trajectory of just grinding until I yeah. turned about 40. Yeah. Well, and I always remember one thing that I was so impressed by with you is like, you always seemed very like cool and calm and serious. Right. And like, you know, up to the task at hand, but you really had it together and you might've been like, you know, like a duck, like, you know, under the surface, your legs are like going like crazy, but above the surface, you look very steady. But I think what I didn't know at the time or realize at the time was what was going on, how stressed you really were. And, you know, what I've come to find out in my whole, you know, everybody knows like I'm a personal development junkie, but if you sort of tamp down stress, it will, if you sort of push it down, it will find other ways to pop out. A hundred percent. And, you know, I, I was always, I was a bit of an anxious kid. I always sort of had a little bit of anxiety, 
but you're a hundred percent right. Like I could sort of, I learned over time. And I think part of it was honestly, you know, women get, and I don't want to stereotype women in business, but you can't be that emotional when you're the only one in the room, you know, both being really young and being female. Like I was very, very conscious all the time of like how I appeared to other people and appearing calm. And then I would have like a breakdown at home later. I would just, you know, I would do all these things to try to overcompensate for the anxiety I felt. And then of course, when I had kids a few years later, it just sort of snowballed because then you have no time for yourself, as you know, as a mother of young kids. And suddenly you're like, okay, all these you know, like I could go for a run or I could do all these things and you just don't have as much time to sort of manage stress. And, you know, what I learned and honestly, what led me into cannabis, and we can talk about that in a few minutes is that stress like comes out in your body in weird ways. Like you can't avoid it. Like you can't. And when it's cumulative over so many years, you know, it, it just has its way. It's like a little genie in a bottle, right? Or like a bottle of, you know, Coca-Cola, you take the lid off after shaking it and it just like explodes everywhere. And so that's what happened to me, but it took a long time. I mean, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. Like I loved the thrill of new business. I love the thrill of pitching of the agency world. You know, that job taught me, and, and I think this is really relevant to your, you know, audience here, how to sell, how to story tell, right? Like I learned that and I'm grateful for it at the age of 28, right? I I learned how to put a story together and it served me very well, you know, as I built brands over the years, but also as I've like built my own story and, and how to put my own story together. And I think, you know, telling a story to new prospective clients and selling to new prospective clients, as I know you're so familiar with now, and, and maybe that's why you went in one direction you know, from that experience. And we were linked in that. And then I kind of went in a different direction, but I think there's nuggets of our experience together that feels, you know, very genuine in sort of that storytelling, selling, pitching space, which is really cool. Yeah. Well, and it's so funny because I work with a lot of women who are like, I don't know how to pitch myself or I get on the phone and I pitch. And what's really ironic coming from new business where we did like literally pitch and we had so many, like, you know, the whole dog and pony show and all of that. It was a whole production to the the way that I work with women now is I actually say you don't have to pitch because they come in a lot of and I work with a lot of women who have worked in agencies and they assume that like they need to sort of present at someone and present their value or whatever and I think that there are things that you can take from pitching right like how do you make something matter to the person on the other side how do you tell a story how do you keep people's attention how do you demonstrate, you know, help them like fall in love with their future. But, you know, so all of those are things I like brought from new business or, you know, picked up and, and carried along with me, but teaching it now in a very different way where you can use it in a conversation and it doesn't have to be this, like I am on stage pitching at you. It's more like I am selling with you instead of, instead of at you. And that was really valuable experience for, from that time. I love that insight. And I think it's very interesting because when I made the move to the client side from the agency side, I was in a global role and I was in sort of this like central group. And so you're still pitching to a degree, but you're all on the same team. But I was pitching other groups within Kimberly Clark on new ideas. And it felt much more like similar to what you're describing, where we were together on that. Like we're all at the same company and we're all, we all have the same goals, right? And so I, I love that. I think that's a, a an awesome insight. And I felt definitely somewhat much more of that as I moved on to the, on the client side. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about, I want to go back to something that you said around, you know, like shaking a bot of stress. And actually let's go back even further because I feel like you touched on a little bit about your upbringing and you and I grew up in a little bit of a same environment in that, you know, the, the ambition and the drive to succeed and the drive to learn in service of success, what really entered our, I don't know, our, our mental space at a really young age. Totally. Agree. I mean, I grew up in Washington, D.C. I'm the oldest of three. I was fortunate enough to go to a, a really great private school and it, it wasn't even like I questioned. It. it was like, you're supposed to get good grades. You're supposed to get to a great college. Then you're supposed to go to a great job. Then you're supposed to get married. I mean, you know the drill. We all do. And as women, especially, you know, I was the oldest, you know, I'm like, of course I'm going to do all 
that. So by the time I got to this role at Leo Burnett and at 28, I was like, and I was also, I also got married at 28. So that was, you know, exactly what I was supposed to do. Right. And then I had kids around 30. Like I was the cookie cutter. And honestly, Leah, I mean, we'll talk more about this, but until I turned 40, I didn't deviate much from that. Right. I didn't really realize how inauthentic some of that was to me, like who I really was until like later. And and that's been the blessing of my forties, I think is like this, you kind of gain this perspective, but yeah, I, I just, I had never really failed. I know that sounds crazy, but I had never really failed. And so when you don't fail, you just keep going because you think that's the way it should be. And you're like, you get a little bit of a high, you know, no pun intended, we're talking about cannabis, but you get a little bit of a high off of being successful and getting that next promotion. And and you don't question, or I didn't question, what is this doing to me personally, right? Is this good for me personally? I just went, wow, this is really cool. I, I This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be successful like this, right? And I was getting these accolades you know, both externally from my family, from my friends. And I felt like I I didn't even question jumping off this trajectory. Yeah. It's, and it's really funny. I mean, your, your story really maps to my story as well. And it's funny in, in your telling of it, that's like literally almost how I tell it. Like, you know, private school, good grades, like best college I could get into, get the, the best job you can and get the next best job and, you know, on and on and on. And I think you, you learn a couple things. I mean, what you said is just like, you're, you're so raised in that, that it becomes just like, this is the norm. This is what I'm supposed to do. You don't really question it. And you also assume that success is linear, right? Like you just keep going up and up and up, which means that at least for me, like any sort of setback really, you know, really hurt. And your point about having never failed. I mean, I know, you know, and it sounds like I'm, I'm being an asshole saying it, but like, hadn't, like, I really hadn't. And then part of it is like self-selecting, right? I really, I mean, I sort of learned from an early age not to do things that you don't succeed at because yeah, like I used to joke that I didn't like playing cards because like in my mind, my type A overachiever mind, like if I try my best, I should win. Right. Right. And it, and gambling is not, gambling is not about that. Like the, you know, the house wins or the deck wins or whatever. And so I never, I hated gambling, but like, and I have people like my mother-in-law asked me one time, she's like, have you ever played an instrument? And I was like, oh yeah, I've quit all the best instruments, you know, like I quit piano and I quit, quit clarinet because I think that if you are raised like that and, and succeeding is either explicitly or implicitly just, you know, that's something that you are taught to value. You stop testing yourself. You certainly keep pushing yourself, but you don't ever let yourself fail. And if you're afraid of failure, you're going to push yourself really hard. It's, it's a, it's a fascinating conversation because I think it affects both your personal life and your professional life, right? Like I, I didn't take any risks. I mean, I went from um, agency business. I, I, I ran PNG for a while. I loved PNG. I, I was super comfortable in the packaged goods space. I went to Kimberly Clark, which is a PNG competitor, you know, in like I, I didn't deviate. And in my personal life, the same way, like we lived in Chicago for 15 years. It wasn't until, and I have a crazy COVID story, as you know, but it has pushed me so far out of my comfort zone. Like we're living part-time in Nicaragua. I've learned to surf, which is so humbling and scary and terrifying on a million levels. And what I watch, I will tell you this all the time is the husbands or brothers or fathers get in the water and the women don't down here. It's amazing to me. I'm often, you know, it's funny. I thought of myself in the boardroom. I'd often be the only woman down here in the water. I'm often one of 10 in the water and I'm the only female because I think, again, this point you made, and I think women are more conditioned to it than men just by their upbringing, you know, of let's be risk averse. Like if you're not going to succeed at something, don't try it. If if you're not going to become a great, amazing surfer, don't get in the water. And I'm like, but how do you know that you're going to be, you know, or, or what if surfing brings up all these other amazing things for you, right? Like, what if you just get to clear your head and meditate in the water for an hour? Is that success or is that failure, you know? So I think it's a fascinating conversation because I certainly felt it. And for, you know, at least 15 years, 
ran on a very comfortable track, putting myself in enough positions career-wise where I knew I could succeed, but they were stretching me enough that I would also see them as success. And it wasn't until I went into cannabis that I was like a, whoa, a big left turn. And same with my life on my personal life. It wasn't until we moved to Nicaragua and I was, you know, basically in a Spanish speaking country where I had to flex my muscles in Spanish and I, everybody surfed. So I felt like I needed to get in the water, you know, these things that just make you, you know, truly understand that if you take risks, there's just so much exciting stuff out there that you would, you know, you would never know if you don't put yourself in those positions. Yeah. And I think you're so right, but I, but you do have to have this moment of like, something has to shift for you to start to see it because otherwise you're just going to keep going as, as you go, you know? And I think I had a little bit of that moment when I came out, right? Because at least on the personal side, not on the business side, but on the personal side, I was like, wait a minute. I think the way that the things I've just accepted to be true, like might not be true. And you start to sort of see things a different way. Now that didn't really translate to business though. You know, like I, I kept charging hard and you're, when you're talking about surfing, it's so funny because I was thinking back, you know, I had mentioned that I, w- I had been to Nicaragua as well and tried to surf there with, you know, a, a former partner of mine. And she was like, where, where you and I are, are like uh, academic upbringing, right? Like by the book, you know, I like to like read all the instructions before I do it. So I know, you know, how to do it right. Um, and she was very, she had a lot more grit. You know, she was like, just make it up as you go along. And I remember specifically about surfing, we had one of our biggest fights because I was like, how do you surf? And she, and she used to be a surf instructor. And she was like, well, just do it. Just get on the board, just do it. And I was like, no, 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 but you have to tell me how to do it. So then I know how to do it right. And, um, and we ended up having this like blowout because it was such a, um, a clash of two approaches, right? Like two worldviews. Like I need to know how to do it right. So I can do it perfectly versus like, I'm just going to make it up as I go along. And the making up it, it up as I go along is something I've really had to learn. I mean, really in the last, like probably, probably five years. Yes. You and you and me both. I mean, I feel the same way. And it's actually fascinating because my husband and my two two boys who are 11 and 13, we all learn to surf at the same time. And my kids in particular, they're just fearless. Like to your point, they, they don't, they don't practice. They don't care. You know, they don't know, Oh, this is the perfect pop-up technique. And like, I overthink everything. I'm like my pop-ups, this, my, this, my, this, and my, my husband's constantly like, you're way overthinking this. Like this is supposed to be fun. And my kids are much better than we are. And they just get up and do it, right? Because they don't overthink things. And so it's been this really interesting metaphor for me, you know, because I agonize about every career decision. And, you know, frankly, I wasn't a media person and I went into a media agency for a year and a half. And it was brutal for me because I just, my brain, it was the first time in my whole career, my brain doesn't really think like that. I'm not about spreadsheets and flighting media. I'm a creatively minded person. And, you know, when I went into cannabis and my, I don't know if you want to talk about this now, but my, my moment, I mean, you talked about coming out and my moment was I got sick in the spring of 2017. And you know what, what the real turning point and my kids remember this, like is I went out for a run running for me had always sort of been this like escape. It was like, I can clear my head. I throw on some music. I get to be by myself And I came back with hives and I was like, oh my God. And I knew at that point that I was really run down. I knew that I was exhausted. I had been taking Ambien for the better part of seven years to sleep, international flights. I was flying all over the world. My sleep was super screwed up. And I I was like, this is it. I've got to go see a doctor. I've got to figure out what's going on. And it turns out I had an autoimmune condition that was you know, not extremely serious, but significantly exacerbated by my lifestyle and by stress and by everything I was doing. And so by the summer of 2017, so this was about five years ago, I had to go off Ambien, off of every pharmaceutical. I had to change my diet. I had to change my lifestyle. And I was like freaking out because this is how I had lived for, you know, 12 to 15 years. I mean, I tried not to miss major milestones for my kids. I tried to be everywhere. I tried to make everybody happy. 
And, you know, I, I ended up looking at cannabis as a way to help me go to sleep because it was medical in the state of Illinois at the time. I got a medical card. I threw myself, like you and I just described, like I researched every cannabinoid. I researched every strain, indica, sativa, like I threw myself into it. And I realized when I started going to these medical dispensaries, they didn't know any more than I did. And this was all going to be like trial and error. And I was floored because I was like, wait a minute, this is available to people. There's no education out there. It's a plant-based alternative to a lot of things, to alcohol, to pharmaceuticals. It's going to be federally legal at some point. You know, five years later, those conversations are obviously still happening. And yet for women like me, there's zero education. There's at the time, there were no brands of any significance. Like, how is this possible? And so honestly, I, I, you know, spent a year just as a consumer and a patient in the cannabis category before I even, it was on my radar that it could be a career. And in the, you know, end of the summer of 2018, I left to take a chief marketing officer role. And I will tell you, Leah, like, and I, I don't know if you experienced this when you came out and had some other major decisions, but there were the people that looked at me like I was insane. And then there were the ones in my life that were like, this is a fantastic move. You're, you're a visionary, you know, you're seeing what's coming. And it was really interesting. It wasn't this, it wasn't always what I expected from people, but there was a lot of people. And I think because you know, I had always been this like straight and narrow for so long and this type A high achieving that not only was I getting off that path to a degree, I mean, I was still becoming a CMO, but to a degree, but I was also going into an illegal drug market, which for a, a quote, like good girl like me was insane. I mean, I didn't even smoke weed growing up. Like it wasn't, it just wasn't in my vernacular, you know, because I didn't want to be that out of control. So to go work in like an illegal industry where you can't get a 401k and you can't put it on, you know, like a mortgage application because it's not recognized. I mean, there's so many things about that industry that are just not commonplace. It was really, it was really a turning point for me. Yeah. I mean, how did you reconcile that with yourself? I mean, I know there are people in your world who was, who were like, are you sure? You know, this is not what we think of you, but how did you think about it on your own? It's, I mean, you know, typical me, I like agonized over the decision for a long time. I actually had another job with a a CMO role offer with a much, much more kind of normal company, I will say big, well-recognized. And I agonized, I mean, months I agonized. And then finally I said, I think this is my opportunity you know, I, I said, I think that, you know, the, this, this is the first time in my career that my personal and professional life had overlapped in such a serendipitous way. Like I was a consumer before I even had this opportunity that if I don't take the risk now, then I don't know when I will. Like, I don't know how many of these opportunities are going to present themselves. And I just somehow garnered the strength you know, and my, my family was very supportive. My close friends were very supportive. Now they think they all want, now they all want to get into the category and, you know, but it, it was difficult. And I feel very much the same way about living part-time in Nicaragua. It's been the same for me. You know, I think some people think we're insane. They, I know that they think we're insane. Like you don't have access to healthcare. There's a global pandemic going on. Like, but at some point you have, you have to, and I know it sounds cliche and I know you read a lot of books and, you know, I read them too, but I, you, you just sort of have to trust yourself and, and, you know, also t- tune out the noise sometimes, like you're never going to make everybody happy. You know, everybody is not always going to think what you do is great, but I also, I know that they don't live in my body. They don't walk my shoes. They don't live my life. So t- at the end of the day, they, they don't get to make the decisions. I do. Yeah. I think that, you know, listening to yourself, tuning into your own body, you know, just sort of tuning out the noise. That's also something that I've had to learn because I just going back to, I think it all sort of stems from how we, how we're raised. But when you are this sort of type A overachiever, good girl, good grades, good school, good job, whatever, you sort of look outside for all of these markers of success, right. And like markers of achievement and, um, you don't have a really highly attuned sense of, am I happy? 
Um, how do I feel? How do I feel in my body? Does this feel right to me? And, you know, what a gift. I mean, sadly, right. Like to, to sort of go for a run, come back with hives. And I know that wasn't the only thing that happened. That just happened to be like the, you know, the, the critical moment. It's weird to sort of see that as a, a gift that started start, starts like teaching you a lesson, you know, yes. teaching you to like pay attention to that. You know, I shared with you that like I, in the pandemic, like I basically like my hair started falling out. Like I'm, you know, type A, st- super stressed out. Like, especially in the pandemic, I wanted to like solve all the problems for all the people and, you know, be just as much in control as when we weren't in a pandemic. And and it really, I, then my hair started falling out. And side note, this is sort of a, a widespread side effect of like pandemic related stress. But like, I think that, you know, the ways that which we're so like prone to this, you know, and like almost like pre, yeah. pre-programmed for this. And, and it's really, sadly, you do often have a moment where you're like, wait a minute, this, this is not right. This is not, you know, this is not right for me anymore. Right. And, and it, to your point, and we talked about this a little earlier, it's, it's amazing how your body will get to a breaking point and show you it's not right right? For you, it was your hair falling out. For me, it was like breaking out in hives. I mean, I had tons of other symptoms. Like I was getting sick a lot, getting sinus infections, getting like just for someone who's very healthy, right? I, I'm young. I mean, I was barely 40 at that time. And, you know, I had healthy kids. Like this was, this was a crazy, why was this happening to me? And, and deep down inside, I think I knew, right? I knew that there were other things kind of out there, but it, you know, but the other thing that always stuck with me was I never figured out, and you said this before, like success will come later. I never figured out why everybody waits till they're retired to do what they really want. Like that concept to me from when I was young, like I, I couldn't get it. I was like, but if I'm retired and I'm not, you know, I'm 65 or 70, I won't have the health I have now. I won't have the ability to travel or the ability to take risks or do things like it's. And so that was always partly in my mind for many years. I was like, what am I working towards? Like I always wanted to be a chief marketing officer. I, I very bad. And I did, I, I loved it. It was great. And there were things about it that were wonderful, but I kind of was like, okay, now what, you know, I, it didn't feel, you know, in, and you and I have talked about sort of a perfect career and like, what is a perfect career? And I don't, you know, I don't know that working to the pinnacle of your career, C-suite level, whatever you're in, and then retiring in your sixties, it just didn't, that didn't feel authentic to me. That wasn't the life I wanted. Now for some people, I think maybe that's great. And that's what they want to do. But this taught me kind of this whole experience over the past five years. Um, and it's funny because you and I both seem to have a five-year time frame here of how we've been reevaluating things. Um, you know, it's really taught me that my body will often tell me things my mind won't because I'll, 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 you know, suppress it. And that I, I don't have the same view of my career and a success and what's important to me as maybe what others do this sort of societal path that you and I have talked about and led for a long time. I, I very, very clearly now don't feel like I want to retire at 65 and wait till then to do a lot of the things I want to do. Yeah, definitely. It's really interesting. This is not something we talked about in advance, but I'm, I'm curious to know there, my, my family and I played this game like over Thanksgiving where we started asking each other questions on this little box. It's called, we're not really strangers. And one of the questions was, um, what has been the lesson that's been the hardest for you to learn? And I'm curious, you know, in both riding and driving in this hard charging career, and then, you know, having this experience where you realize it wasn't right and going in this other direction that was unexpected, but has been really fulfilling. Like what has been the hardest lesson, the lesson that's taken you the longest to learn? Yeah. And I think it's a, it's an awesome question. I would say, um, it seems counterintuitive, but slowing down, working less, taking more time, not even just for myself, which I think is, you know, pretty cliche, but like just to just in the pause actually has made me more successful. Like it, it sounds 
again, crazy. I thought work hard, put the hours in, you know, meet all the right people, get all the right jobs, go to all the right schools, like achieve, 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 achieve. Honestly, I have slowed down tremendously in the past few years. Like I have, I have taken a breath. I've moved to a warm tropical climate. I've given myself the grace to try something as hard as surfing. And in all of that, I've put myself out there in ways that I'm, I'm not comfortable with. I started a women's and cannabis executive group when I left my CMO role in the fall of 2020. That has given me more than I could have ever imagined. And so I would never have done it had I not slowed down. I had job offers coming out of the CMO, the CMO role. I had several of them. And they, several of them were C-suite roles again. And that would have been, again, the next logical turning point for me would have been, okay, now you did the chief marketing officer role at a, at a multi-state cannabis company. You had a great exit. Go take another chief marketing officer role or take a... And instead, I honestly, Leah, I gave myself time. I gave, I was, I gave myself the gift of like slowing down, which was so hard for me to do because every time I would get an opportunity or recruiter will call, I like would freak out and be like, I got to take this. I got to take this. What if the next one doesn't come up? Like I was so programmed and the gifts I've been given by in that slow time, my, my women's executive group, you know, meeting with a ton of different people that allowed me ultimately to land in starting a company with an incredible partner in happy. That is honestly like geared towards women. It is, it is a brand I'm passionate about. It's a microdose beverage where I think, you know, our vision is really to start, you know, having, bringing women into the cannabis conversation in a way that five years ago in 2017, when I needed someone to bring me in and help me, like that wasn't available. And so I never would have had these doors open had I not slowed down. And I even now sometimes like I feel guilty, like, okay, I'm going to stop working when my kids are off at three o'clock and take two hours to go surfing. Like that's selfish. I think, oh, I'm being selfish by doing that. I'm not working hard enough. I'm not, I should be doing all these other things, but I, there's, there's a magic in it. Right. I always come back with something that I, sometimes I have a freedom of a thought in the water, or sometimes I, I, I get out on the board and I look back on the coast and I think, oh my gosh, like, wow, I didn't think about, like, I have a new perspective. And I know that, again, it sounds cliche, but by far the hardest lesson for me has been slowing down and, and sometimes working less and taking more time to look around doesn't hold you back. It actually propels you forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I love this. I mean, I think it's such an important such an important lesson and especially especially hard for people like you and me and for people the women who are listening because we were you know conditioned to believe that like you said it yourself success equals stress like those two things must go hand in hand and if you're not um and also you know another belief that we that's often programmed is like um to be successful you have to work very very hard and um so if you find yourself even purposely trying to slow down trying to you know take your foot off the brakes you will this belief is so ingrained that you will like find ways to to fill that time back up with stress or thoughts or overthinking or do you know what i'm saying or just like activity pro you know business type activity um it's a very hard it's such a hard habit to break it is. And I really admire the people that are just able to like, to sit with it. And I know I'm, I'm even too type A to try to meditate. Like I know, again, like it's 20 because meditation is like a, such a gift. And I sometimes think that I find other ways like surfing or taking walks or being in nature. I found other ways, but it, all of that, the pause, the stillness, the, the taking, the just slowing down a little bit. I think for women like you and I, a hundred percent, it's, it's so difficult. And that, and I didn't believe, I really didn't believe that it would be, I would be able to be successful doing it that way. I didn't, I, I thought, you know, and, and in many ways, success to me looks different than it did. It certainly does than it did at 28. I mean, I have a president's title. I love running happy, but there's only, you know, it's a startup. There's, there's six, there's six of us. It's hard. It's, it's a crazy category. Um, but I feel it's a different kind of success. Um, and I feel also incredibly passionate about 
you know, I've always felt passionate about helping other women. Um, and this is a great sweet spot. And then founding my women's and cannabis group, my wink group has been an ama- amazing success. I mean, we have over 25 members now, but it's funny because I, I don't even, it's not classic success. I don't have the title. I don't have the, so I don't always reflect on it. And even now that we're talking about it, maybe the first time I've reflected on it as being successful, it's just a, your view of success changes when you slow down a little bit. And I think that's another important piece to all of this, right? You, you know, for people like us, it isn't just the title and the salary and the recognition, the external recognition. It's that internal piece that I think you have to grow into. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, talk to me about the the brand, the beverage that you're working on now. I mean, I want to hear about it, but I also want to hear how you maybe are approaching this a little bit differently than you might have in the past with this newfound, you know, mindset. Yeah. I love it. Um, so happy H-A-P-P-I, um, is a microdose cannabis beverage. And one of the things that I was really passionate about, you'll find this funny when I first went into a dispensary after I hadn't had gone off Ambien was pretty desperate to be sleeping regularly you know, many of they call them bud tenders in the dispensaries. The bud tenders will often, they, they have very high tolerances. I never smoked weed. I, I was just trying to sleep, right? So I didn't want something super strong. And they gave me, for those of your listeners that know, they gave me a, a an RSO, a Rick Simpson oil, which is a concentrate, which is like the strongest, one of the strongest forms of cannabis. And it's often for, you know, cancer patients, medical patients. And I didn't get up for two days. Like I couldn't get out of bed. I was so which was kind of funny looking back on it. And I tell this story sometimes, but on the other hand, I was, it was a little terrifying because, and, you know, luckily I kept going and believed in it knew I would get to a place. But so, so this is designed as like a entry point. Um, it's a two and a half milligram. It's a, a sparkling water, all natural. It's vegan. Um, it's really super low in calories. So, you know, I think one of the things I've seen, and I know there's been a lot of press on this during the pandemic is, you know, women are turning to alcohol to like numb a lot of the feelings like we've been talking about, right. And or prescription drugs, but certainly alcohol, I think is a comfort and it's difficult. I think, you know, people are trying to drink less now they're recognizing this is maybe not great from a health standpoint. Alcohol made me more anxious. It disrupted my sleep more, you know? So for me, alcohol is, is tricky and happy is amazing because I get to still be social and be in those occasions and have a drink and it's a super, you know, but I don't have that hangover the next day and it doesn't disrupt my sleep. It actually helps my sleep. So, you know, I think it's a, it's been an awesome product from that standpoint. And then in terms of, you know, how I'm approaching it differently as a brand, I mean, one thing I will say is like, I, we're testing and learning a lot. I have a great business partner. He's incredibly supportive of brands and marketing and, because I'm not working in like big corporate companies where there's benchmarks, like we're just trying stuff. And I'm giving myself like the, the leeway and the grace to be like, this is new. Cannabis is new. It's not even federally legal, right? We're only on the market in, in one state, which is Michigan, which is a very big cannabis market. And, you know, I, I hope soon to be in more states like Massachusetts and Illinois, we're working on some of that, but just trying new things um, and not being afraid to fail. And I think those are the lessons we talked about. Like in my personal life, I didn't fail when I went into cannabis. I didn't fail when I left the CMO role. Like why would I think I would fail with happy? Right. But I still think it, trust me, this is like me telling this still, you know, it's still in my, the back of my mind, but giving myself the, the grace and, also to, to, to put things out there and to try new things and to see what really breaks through. And I also love, I love that it, it is, you know, for women, I love that piece of it. It feels very mission driven for me. And I feel like my personal story, I think connects with a lot of women out there who maybe have taken Ambien or on antidepressants or on, you know, anti-anxiety medication and really, or drink a lot of alcohol and really just, want to turn to something else um, that's a little sort of less disruptive for their lives. So I think not being as afraid to fail is a big piece of what I've carried into the happy. And I think we're going to succeed. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Well, where can people learn about you, about happy? Point us in the right direction here. Yeah, absolutely. So um, definitely um, hit me up on LinkedIn. My mantra on there is from toilet paper to rolling papers. So there you go. I get a lot of feedback on that one. Um, just Lisa Hurwitz on LinkedIn. You'll see me there. 
And then happy, please, if you, any of your listeners are in Michigan, it's happy hour drink, happy with an I.com. And uh, we are in, as of today, almost 50 dispensaries in the state of Michigan and climbing. So would love to hear your feedback, your thoughts on the product, what you'd like to see next from us as a brand. And we're also at happy hour drink again, happy with an I, H-A-P-P-I on Instagram as well. So send us a note. We'd love to hear from you. Try the product. And yeah, thanks for having me, Leah. I've loved this chat. It's, it's been awesome. Me too. Thanks so much for joining me. All right. So there's so much we could talk about here, but I want to just kind of zoom out a bit and acknowledge that when you're raised with these expectations that a lot of us were, and you know we carry those expectations of working hard, achieving success, you know, all of us, we carry them with us into our careers and into our businesses. I just want to acknowledge how hard it is for us to deprogram and I guess reprogram this programming, like how hard it is to unlearn the lessons that we learned super early in our lives from people who absolutely meant well and wanted the best for us and probably had no idea that like encouraging us to get good grades would result in us, you know, down the line in like never being able to try something new, right? So if you're like a lot of the women listening and trying to practice a better way of doing things that serves you now as a business owner, maybe you're trying to be less of a perfectionist, or maybe you're trying to practice just taking the first step to do something before you see all the steps, or maybe you're trying to practice taking a risk or whatever you're working on, getting it to good enough and pressing publish, right? If you're trying to do all those things or a version of those things for you and your business, and you're finding that the process is really frustrating, you're finding that like this type of growth is really frustrating, just have compassion for yourself. You learned this stuff a long time ago. You've been practicing it in one way or another, and the lessons you learned a long time ago, you've been doing them, using them for years, and they sort of calcified over the years. And so sadly, we can't just like undo it because we read a book or saw like an inspirational meme on social media, right? It takes lots of practice, but the work is worth it because slowly but surely we'll get closer to where we want to be. 